to get situated here. All right. All right, let's, let's, uh, you can't pray enough, right? Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, we are so blessed to be in your house with your people, with your word in our hands, Lord. I pray, Lord, as, um, as I bring the word this morning, that there be nothing in it of me. Lord, that it only be of you. And if anything of said of me, Lord, that your people would not remember it, certainly, and it would cause no stumble or hinder. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise, all of our loyalty, all of our obedience. Lord, just simply faith. You are the author of our salvation. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So with that, let's, as Pastor Mike said, uh, you have your Bibles. I pray that you do. You know, um, Christian without his Bible is kind of like a warrior without his sword. So um, I would encourage you all to have your Bible, have it open. Uh, we're going to look into... John chapter 15, it's a famous passage, it begins with, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. But before we get into the exposition of the word, the foundation of the word always needs to be laid, the context of the passage, so that you would understand the people, how they received it from the word of the Lord, how they, both their cultural context, who they were, historical, where they were in time, and just how it was received and how Jesus made application to them and that we, if we can understand that for them, we can understand what Jesus is speaking to all of us through his word. So with that, let's get a little, little bit of context here. This passage um, is recorded by the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle. In the end, this is the end, this is the last night of Christ's life before he goes to the cross, before he becomes what John the Baptist had said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that was the context there. This is called the Upper Room Discourse. It was the fourth of Jesus's four major discourses. This one, even though it's called the Upper Room Discourse, it was not really given in the Upper Room. As we go through this, you'll see they had already left the Upper Room. They had taken the Last Supper. They had had their feet washed by Jesus. Jesus was instructing them now because they were at great anxiety and distraught because they realized what he had told them all along, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be handed over to the Gentiles and he was going to be scourged and spit upon and crucified and rise the third day. They still probably didn't get the raise the third day thing as we would see if we went further into John. Their ears are definitely open now. They're listening. Their eyes and their hearts are breaking for the reality of this now. So as that goes on, they leave. They leave the upper room. And they're walking. And they're walking. They're going to go, as you know, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, to get there, if you've ever been in Jerusalem, you know that they were probably, the upper room was probably up in the southwest corner of the up what was called the old city and so they would have left there and they would have walked down and with the temple on their left side 
they would have seen the temple, they would have walked down through the Brook Kidron, and they would have been in vineyards, vineyards. Because at that time, every fertile slope, basically, in the Judean foothills, they raised grapes. You see, grapes, it's interesting, I studied, when I studied for this, I found out that Judean grapes and the wine that comes thereof was the favorite of the Caesars. So all of this wine that came from those grapes in this vineyard, most of it would have went to Caesar or to royalty. Okay. So they understood the vineyard, but they understood even more than that. They understood that this was a picture of Israel. This was a picture of Israel. It's recorded in, um, in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5. This is, this is the prophet speaking, and he's speaking for God. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard oh, a very, on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and he cleared it out at stones. He planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and he made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug up there, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will command the clouds that there no rain in it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So you see, these Jewish men, they understood, these disciples, that Jesus, the most Jewish of the rabbis, was speaking to them in terms that they understood. You see, a rabbi always taught with four main principles in hand. He always taught parables in parables, a known truth cast alongside a spiritual truth to bring forth truth. He always taught with threads or building blocks. He built upon what he had already taught them to the next level. He questioned them constantly to provoke thought. And then in all of that, finally, he repeated over and over and over. Do you guys sometimes think that Pastor Mike repeats himself? Do you ever? Let's be honest here. Of course he does, because he's teaching as a Jewish rabbi would. He's bringing it back to remembrance. He's cementing it in your brain and in your heart that it's there for you when the Holy Spirit needs it. Right? That's what's going on here. That's what Jesus did. So as they're walking, they come into this vineyard. And in this vineyard, Jesus, the great parable teacher, used their location to speak a truth to them that they needed to understand going forward, going forward. So... But let's look back just quickly. Let me look back in, in John 6. Let's keep in mind these building blocks. He had already told them in John 6 after he fed the 5,000. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Keep that phrase in mind. Flesh and the blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides, remember that word, abides in me. 
As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate in the wilderness and are dead. He who eats this bread will live. Jesus said he is the true bread. True bread. Let's fast forward. This was earlier in Jesus' ministry. Let's fast forward to that evening, this evening that we're talking about right here. You remember this passage. You remember this clearly. After the Last Supper, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, he had already told them that, right? So what, did he, what, what was said at the Last Supper? What was said in Mark? He referenced those same exact words. If I can even find it. I'll do it out of Matthew. I can probably find that one. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body bread his body that's the picture there and he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this blood is the new co- the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin but i say to you i will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when i drink it new with you my father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives so you see how he built upon that and he used those same phrases And he wanted them to get the picture of his broken body was the sacrifice, his blood, the new covenant that covered their sin and redeemed them and draw them back to him and draw them back to the Father provided for that salvation. So with that, let's go ahead and and look into the Word. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. The vine, the dresser, but the I am, the I am. You realize this is the seventh statement that Jesus made, that he is I am. Do you realize why he was doing that? What the purpose behind the seven I am's were in John? You know the seven I am's? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Christ is proclaiming his deity by each one of these things. Remember in Exodus, clearly in Exodus 33, 14, God said, I am that I am. These Jewish men would have understood that completely. Truly, the Pharisees, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they understood it. They understood it. So they've gone to the vine. They've gone through this vineyard. He says, he goes on there, he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Well, we know the father owns all things, and he's the vine dresser. We're going to speak more today about the vine dresser and what the vine dresser does practically as they're in the vineyard. But also what Jesus was telling them was they understood from Isaiah, from Hosea and Jeremiah, that Israel, the nation of Israel, was God's vine. 
Even on the wall, on the doors to the temple were golden grapevines, 30 feet high, embossed. They understood they were the chosen. And so they understood that. Jesus is telling them, this is a new thing. I'm the vine. You must abide in me. It isn't your ceremonial religion, right? It isn't your, you know, you came to temple three times a year, you went through the mikvah, you gave alms, you, you met all these Jewish requirements. Your salvation is not in that. Neither is it in your heritage, right? You know, I look around, I see people, I, mean, I imagine you're of all different heritages in here today. Um, and, I, and I imagine you're of different religious backgrounds, how many are Baptists have been raised in a Baptist tradition in here? How many of you Pentecostals? How many Catholics? Anybody from Catholicism, okay? Are any of you in here Jewish? By lineage? I guess one. That means nothing. What Jesus is saying, it means nothing. John the Baptist, when the Pharisees were before him and he called them a brood of vipers because they thought they were so the chosen people and so self-righteous. He said, God can make sons of Abraham from these stones, right? means nothing. Do any of us do that today? Do we believe because we go to church on Sunday and we maybe go to Wednesday nights or we're involved in youth or Sunday school or we're in praise and worship or whatever, do we think that earns our way into heaven? No. None of that. That's the fruit that comes from abiding in the vine. But your vine, vine himself, paid the price for you. Therein is your salvation. Freely you have been given, so freely you give by serving him and others. That's what's expected of you as a Christian. But never, ever, ever think that your salvation rests on anything except for the Christ, the blood that he shed for you, the price he paid because he loves you and because he was obedient to the so he's told these Jewish disciples that, and they're like, this is different. <laughs> this is completely different. So the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So a vine dresser, what a vine dresser does, it, it, to simplify this, any of you raise grapes in here? Right? So you know that when you have grapes that are growing, you trim them in the growth process. If you've got a cluster of grapes over here and they're on the vine, a lot of the foliage and leaves between the vine and the cluster, you have to trim it. You cut it off because you want the sustenance to go to the grapes to make the grapes grow. Right? So you, that's just a typical thing. That's what Jesus has said. My father, the vine dresser, trims this back so you, he will get more fruit out of that. He also says, you know, here's the thought, Christian. Can we claim the name of Christ in here? Most of us? All of us? Do you like being pruned? Do you? You know, the word in the Greek is kathiros, and it means not only pruned, but cleansed. Um, have any of you ever had to have God take a stiff bristle brush and some lye soap and clean you? Did you like it? Did you like it when you were being pruned? Do you want to have something cut away that's precious to you? 
right? That you might grow in the future. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, I, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. You know, I can only speak from experience here. I understand what James said, you know. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you undergo various trials and tribulations. It, you know, it, it builds your patience. It builds your faith. Ultimately, through the process, it brings, it makes you holy. It makes you full. It makes you mature in Christ. It produces fruit in you. But ladies and gentlemen, it's no easy deal. I look around, I look at some of your faces, I can't read your mind, I don't really know you, but I suspect that you're people, and I suspect that you live in this fallen world, and I suspect that the more you try and do what Christ has called you to do, the more you seek to walk with him and be righteous through him, you get attacked some, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing you get, you get attacked. But also, you may be in need of discipline, right? Our pruning is caused really by three things, you know, and we, get, we learn from it by three things. We learn by it through suffering. It comes from suffering. We, we learn through the Scripture how to deal with it. And some of it, let's just be honest, some of it's just flat stupidity. We just do stupid, and the consequences of that stupid and that sin are ongoing for a long time. We can be forgiven. We will be forgiven if we will but confess and repent. He's faithful and just. But we're going to have to suffer through these things. But the hope is that by the time we get to the end of this suffering, we will attain the goal or the gold that God has for us in that thing. If we will remain. If we don't check out. Right? The tendency is to check out. Let's get out from underneath this suffering. Lord, this don't feel good. You know, I can only speak from experience. I don't want to belabor. But you know what? This last few years in our lives, and you know, I had my parents die within four months of each other, and I did their had to do their funerals. I had cancer. I had severe COVID. You know, it's not about me. The point I'm trying to make here is, is that through it all, the vine dresser grew me. For you know when I was closest to God? is when he had me in his hand and he had the pruning shears trimming me. Right? Count on that promise. Lean into him. Like I said, I don't know you guys, but I suspect you've got some trials in your lives. Right? Lean into Christ. He's the source of all healing. You know, he says in verse 3, you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That word, that word that he's spoken into us, that is the words of life. That's the word of the gospel. Just that simple. When you came to Christ and you submitted and surrendered in admission that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior and it's Jesus, at that instant, that instant, the Holy Spirit baptized you, came into your heart. He dwells in you now. That's the word. You're clean. You're positionally before God justified now. You still have to walk the sanctification road till you get glorified on the last day? Yeah. Is it a painful road? Yes. Is there much pruning and trimming on that road? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But that's part of the process that he has for you. He, he says, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? If you take a grape plant, you cut the thing off, everything's going to die, right? Nothing can be done. There's not going to be any any fruit produced. But you know, that kind of also goes back to that cleaning. That cleaning. You know, you're positionally right because of the word that you've received into your heart, right? But are you still going to pick up dirt? You guys still walking in the world? This last week, was it was it muddy out in your house? Did you drag any of that mud into the car? Oh, I hate that when the kids... My wife takes the grandkids to YFC, and it never fails. The car is full of mud, right? But Christ cleans the mud off of us, as I said before. If, if you will just confess and repent, because we're talking about abiding here. How do we abide in Christ? Abide, meno, in the Greek. It means simply to live in, dwell in, remain in. To remain in communion with Christ in all things, all aspects of your life. Do any of you guys do like me? Do you, have you ever had a little section of your life It's like, God, I'm good with giving you, you know, it's 95, but I got like 5% over here. I want to hang on to this deal, right? Is that communion with Christ? Are, are we clearly told that we are to pick up our cross daily and follow him, right? Are we to deny ourselves? That's that denying that 5% deal. That's how we stay in Christ. That's one way we stay in communion with Christ. It's helpful to stay in the Word, the purifying, washing of the Word, Jesus says, right? Follow the commandments. Keep His commandments. And when you fail, and you will, fall to your knees. Pray. Remove that cloud that's over your head that separates you, the sin that separates you from the Father, so that He both will hear your prayer. He hears them anyway, but how many of you are parents in this room? Do you feel more like blessing your children when they're obedient? Do you? Do you want to give them good things when they've been little idiots? No, no. You think, if we are made in the image of God, as the word clearly says, part of that is we have God's emotions also. right? So, repent, confess, repent, receive that forgiveness. Stay in communion with him. So that's what he's talking about, clean. So, but back to verse 4 here. Um, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's get a little practical application there. Most of you guys know me. Some of you guys know me, but most of you don't. Hey, I retired out of the fire department in L.A. after 36 years. I'm going to put this in dumb, plain, practical fireman speak that you can all get. If you take a hose line through that door and you go into a commercial structure fire, are you going to make sure that that before you go through that door, you open the hose and make sure it's charged and full of water? Are you going to do any good in that fire if that hose is not connected to the pumper and the pumper is not connected to the hydrant and there's water coming through that thing? That's what he means, abide in me, remain in me. You can do nothing aside from me, right? You've got to stay in abiding in the vine. Are any of you in here today, are you fighting a little fire in your life? Is there a little trial and trouble? Right? What's happened in our lives since COVID? Just for an example. Things are upside down. Do you have the strength to deal with that more if you abide in Christ? 
If you can, if you can claim the promise that all things work together for the good who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose, does that make it a lot easier? Think how it is for people who don't know Jesus and have nothing to cling to. Yeah. There were, COVID was ugly enough in the church. Imagine not having Christ. Imagine not having the fellowship of your brothers and sisters, right? You know, Scripture is pretty darn clear. We're to gather together with the brethren, not to forsake it as some, especially as that day draws near, that we're to gather together to spur one another onto works of love and encouragement. That's part of the reason we come to church. Be with our brothers and sisters, right? When you stray from the flock, when you're not committed in communion to Christ and you stray from the flock, what happens to the sheep that's outside of the flock? Yeah, he gets picked off. He gets picked off real easy. There's your reason to stay in fellowship and stay in the church. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Well, we've already addressed that issue. But remember, in him, one of the most famous verses, you all know this, you probably even claimed it. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It's not me that's strong. It's Christ in me. It says when Paul wrote this, Paul wrote that he was in prison, in a Roman prison. And he could say that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So we've been talking about fruit a lot here today. What are are we talking about? What is fruit specifically? Specifically. Well, I'm hitting all the biggies today. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against there is no against such there is no law. Do you want love? Do you want to feel loved and affirmed of the Father through the Son? Do you want to be loved on practical horizontal terms? Do you want to love your wife? Do you want your wife to love you? Right? Do you want that fruit in your life? Okay? Abide in the vine. Follow his commandments. Maybe break out Ephesians 5 every once in a while and read that thing, men. That you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and lay down his life for the church. You would lay down your life for your wife. Maybe wives, you maybe need to read a little bit about that, about submitting to your husbands. Yeah, nobody wants to think about submitting. But I guarantee you, husbands, if you love your wives that way, they will respect and be willing to submit to you. And they will understand that as Christ is in submission to the Father, and we men are in subjection to Christ, the woman, us. It's not that we're to use them as a doormat. We're to love them as Christ loved the church. That's, that's part of that fruit. That's love. Joy. Do you want joy? Come on. You guys, some of you guys said you're Pentecostals and Baptists. Let's, can I get an amen? Right? How about a little hallelujah occasionally, right? I don't expect you to say shalom or, you know, or, uh, you know, Baruch Atah Adonai Elohai Noel Makalem. I don't expect you to say that. Okay? But you want that. You want that joy. You know, our strength is the joy in the Lord, right? 
right? We, we want that joy. And it's not joy that's based on your circumstance. It's not because you live in a big, fine house. It's not because you have a good paycheck. It's not because you have a new car. You have this, that, or the other thing. Hey, I get it. God's blessed us beyond measure in those things. My joy does not come from those things. Those things can be wiped out in an instant, as I've seen so many times in tornadoes and floods. Your joy is in the Lord. He is your strength. That is where your unshakable joy. That is who you are in Christ when you remain in the vine, right? You want peace? Yeah, we need peace badly. Shalom. We need peace. And I could go on and on, and we could preach a sermon on each one of those, but Pastor Mike gave me 30 minutes, so we're going to move right on here. Okay. So, here's the... If anyone does not abide in me, you know, we've been talking the carrot over here. Let's talk the stick a little bit over here. I mean, literally, we're going to talk the stick. If anyone does not abide in me is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Is Jesus saying here that if you don't abide in me, if you backslide a little bit, you know, you get out here in the woods some, are you going to be lopped off and cast into the fire of hell? Are you? No, your salvation is guaranteed by what Christ did on the cross. The highest price was paid for you. Even while you were at enmity with him, he went to the cross for you. Is that, can that be rescinded? Can true salvation by grace through faith be rescinded? No, you rest in the Most High God and his Christ. Okay. But what we're talking about here is if you ain't going to bear some fruit, at the end of the growing season, the vintner goes through and he, and he examines his vines and any branch that didn't bear any fruit, he cuts that thing off, they gather them up, and they burn them. And what Jesus is talking about is practically. They understood that these branches were not big enough to use as building materials. They used them as kindling in the fire. That's what he's talking about here. We're not talking about hell. This message is about fruit from believers. That's the context. Not that you're going to burn in hell. But you know, although John, who wrote this, later, much later in his life, after he'd walked with Christ for many years, understood and wrote in his epistle that there is a sin that leads unto death. You can backslide far enough away from the Lord to where you have brought discredit on his name, and he is displeased enough, and he won't allow you to dishonor his name any further, and he will remove you physically. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They were removed from a church that was producing much fruit. You get that? They weren't producing any fruit. That branch had to go because of the ones that were producing the fruit. Um, you Bible students, who knows about the rebellion of Korah? This group of men led by Korah decided that they didn't have to listen to Moses and Aaron, God's servants, and by association, God. So they rose up in rebellion. What happened to them? Who knows? The ground opened up and swallowed them and their families, right? They were removed. They obviously didn't bear fruit. They bore bad fruit. They were removed. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. 
So does this mean that, um, <laughs> is this like a super secret promise that like, well, here it says in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. You'll seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen. Let's realize, even in Christ, this is us, our hearts. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Yes, that is a true promise. But here's the qualifier to that promise. If you just turn back a couple pages in your Bible to John, the 14th chapter, Jesus says in 13th verse, And whatever you ask in my name, in my name, I will do that the Father be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you understand what Jesus' name is? Jesus' name is synonymous with his will. The Father God himself is what he does. Right? There's only one good God, and he does good to his children. There's, I was reading a passage the other day in the Old Testament. It talks about that God is always mindful of us, his children. And then the second part of that verse, and he will bless us. Right? So we can expect that blessing. If you are truly in Christ, if you are abiding in the vine, if you are in constant communion with Christ, you're not going to ask for something that's athwart His will. You're just not. The Holy Spirit within you is not going to allow you to ask for something contrary to God's will. So, does God's will get done? <laughs> you can take that one to the bank. Absolutely, God's will is going to be done. So that's how your prayer in God will be answered. And that is how God is glorified in that. He says, it'll be done for you, and by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You will be followers, right? In that whole passage, too. Have you heard this one before? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first discourse? He said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and bring glory to your Father. Do you guys get it as believers? Jesus, he said, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all will know you are my disciples. So what's that mean, practically? Is your whole life right here in this building? No. Are you out in the world? Do unbelievers see you in the world? Have you professed to be a Christian? Have you heard the saying... If I was arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? No, I got to tell you guys, I went for most of my life claiming the name of Christ. I was a pew sitter. I'd come in here and sit on the pew and mouth the words and sing the songs and go out and live like the devil the rest of the week. And then I'd come in on Sunday. And it wasn't until many years in our marriage, probably 30 years in our marriage, after I'd been called to the ministry and finally surrendered that my wife told me one day, she goes, you know the same guy on Wednesday that you are on Sunday now. That was both good and bad because I realized all the opportunity that I had to share my beloved. And I wasted it. I just wasted it. It's gone. 
But remember, it's more important to finish strong. Finish strong, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this whole, this is a testimony day for me today. My dad was 86 years old. And I had shared Jesus with him for years. And finally, my mom was dying of cancer hideously. And I went out to spend a day with my parents and my mom and hold her hand. And I'd been my mom's pastor on the phone for two years, basically, every Sunday. And I noticed my dad was hovering. He was always within earshot, hovering around. And that morning, I got ready to fly out. I made them breakfast, and I, we were at the old family kitchen breakfast nook. I looked over at my dad, and the tears were just streaming off his face. And I got it. I heard Jesus. Jesus was knocking at the door. And my dad needed me to open that door and help him in. He was old. He was stubborn. And we prayed. He came to Christ. And anybody that knows my dad knows he was changed from a rough, gruff, moral man, but yet very stubborn and very prideful, he changed into a follower of Christ. The last four months of his life, he was all about Jesus. And when, and here's the lesson of this long harangue about people watching you, looking at the fruit in your life, seeing if your words match your walk. My old dad, as he put the suitcase in the trunk of the rental car, said to me, you know, son, why I can, why I can believe in Jesus? <laughs> I said, no, Dad, I don't, I don't know. He said, because I saw how Jesus changed you. So don't ever think that people are not watching your life. That's what Jesus is saying here to you. That fruit, that's another kind of fruit. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you ain't taking anything to heaven but the souls that you have helped to see Jesus. That's all. Paul himself said, I planted, Apollos watered. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. So I'm probably about out of time. I'm like, let me wrap this baby up. He said, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Who is love? Who is the greatest picture of love? Who went to the cross? Who died for you unconditionally, whether you spit on his face and scoffed at him? Jesus. Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying he wants to take joy in us. He wants to be pleased with us. His joy will remain in us if we will but, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't, don't say to me, Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say. Don't do that. Jesus is, his joy doesn't abide in you for that. So, you know, I, I, I don't know where all you guys are. I don't know you guys. 
I suspect there are some here in this room who you may think you know Jesus. You come to church, right? You, you put in the tithe and offering box, right? But consider if you truly abide in Christ, if you are surrendered in all things. And if you're not, confess and repent to the Father. Claim the blood of Jesus, that sacrifice he paid on the cross for you. Claim that. Reestablish that relationship. We all at times walk away from the vine, get out in the world, get too far, come back. Come back. Jesus said, come. Come as you are, right? Do that. And some, I don't know, I don't know you all, but I suspect there's somebody in here who doesn't know Jesus. It's just the way of it. There's always somebody in church who knows they don't even know Jesus. So if any of these words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's tugging at your heart, don't wait any longer. For the scripture is clear. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. You don't know what what can happen to you or befall you the minute you walk outside of these doors. Truthfully, ladies and gentlemen, we don't even know if an airplane is going to drop on this church and squash us all. Right? So if, if, if the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart, right? Stand up. Make a profession for Christ. Or if you're scared, because it's a big step. It's the biggest step you will ever make. The toughest question that was ever asked, Jesus said, who do you say I am? What is the proper response? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Acknowledge that. Acknowledge Him in your heart. But if you're afraid to do it today and you don't want to come forward today, talk to Pastor Mike, talk to Miss Kelly, talk to Dana, talk to any other believer that you see that fruit of in their lives. They'll be more than happy to pray with you and lead you, show you the, the good news of salvation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth, that you are truth, Lord, that you were clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I pray if your spirit has moved on any heart here today, whether to cast aside things that are keeping the things that keep us from Lord truly abiding in you Lord that we will lay those at the foot of the altar seek your mercy and your grace Lord your patience and your goodness with us we will set those aside and be restored and renewed to full fellowship Lord to be right before you that your joy may abide in us and Lord, if there's any here who don't know you and they need to know you, Lord, how can you fight the fires of this world without Christ? If they want that, Lord, move upon their heart, Lord. Convict, rebuke, encourage. But they will seek and they will find. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. For you first loved us. And it's in your holy name we pray.